Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Morning. I, uh, I'm excited that you're here. How many people, this isn't your service, but you're here so that you can make it home in time to do I didn't even finish the sentence. You're like... Uh, welcome, 11 o'clockers, to the uh, service of great sacrifice and wisdom, known as the 9 o'clock service. Uh, I'm excited that you guys are here. If uh, you're brand new, my name's Danny. I am one of the pastors here at Kesed, and I'm going to be sharing with you. Uh, we're in a series right now called Gasp, and we're talking about this idea of, of inspiration and the way that, that God moves you, the way that God inspires you, the way that, that I think sometimes God causes you to make big shifts and change within your life through other things that cause you to gasp. That's the idea. Uh, We're moving through these stages of faith right here. Uh, We started off with life-changing awareness of God, this this thought that that until you really realize there is a God and that you're not him and that he loves you more than you even love yourself, uh, it's difficult. But oftentimes people become inspired and they become aware and so they move to become a disciple, a learner, someone who who wants to know more about God, know more about what God thinks about how this life should be lived. After you become a learner, you move into the active life. You begin to serve. Uh, last week was a really special service. We had a pastor from Living Hope Church, Neil Curtis, here, and he talked to us about living that active life. And so we're partnering with them the whole month of February to, uh, to help uh, prepare their warming shelter that we're going to get more and more involved in uh, for reaching people and actively serving them. This right here oftentimes is is really the fullest extent that, that many Christians I work with go. Uh, they, they often will just kind of cycle through this. They'll, they'll have their camp high or a sermon will hit them just right. And so they'll decide to join a class or a Bible study or just on their own buy a book that helps describe more about who God is. And then they'll serve, they'll volunteer, they'll help out. And they'll do this till something disappoints them, till something within their faith doesn't work, till somebody within the church community offends them. And then they'll kind of back away and be like, I knew it wasn't real. I knew it wasn't for me. And then all of a sudden, they'll see a video or a sermon or someone will have a coffee with them and they'll get inspired again. And suddenly this thing will awaken within them. And so they'll start to learn again, starting from where they were. And they'll learn and they'll learn and they'll learn until eventually they're serving again. But this time with a little more distance because they remembered what happened last time. So they serve and serve and serve, and they last a little bit longer, but not as long as they should, until eventually somebody offends them again, or something from stage is said that they don't agree with, and God forbid you go to a church where something is said from stage you don't agree with, because we all know I have all the answers, (laughs) as do all the other pastors in town. And then suddenly they're offended again, and they just kind of cycle through right here, and they just have this sort of very shallow faith. And and I'm not saying it to, to... to uh, demean in any way, I think this is a very real thing, and I think there's a very real reason why, and it has to do with what we're going to talk about today, and that's the wall. The wall is a difficult thing, and as I describe it more and more this morning, you're going to understand it better and better. You're not going to like it, so I want to give you a couple instructions, a couple spiritual postures. Uh, The first one is, I'd like you to realize and recognize this sermon's for you. There will be a tendency at some point in this message for you to hear something that you think would be great for the person sitting next to you. You're, you're going to be like, that's so true for you. 
Um, it's the easiest and cheapest way to avoid getting any spiritual impact whatsoever out of the service, and that's to listen to it for someone else. This sermon is not for someone else. This sermon is for you, right where you are right now, because every person in this room has some sort of wall they're facing. I think that's probably the most important part. The other part is for you to be honest. Uh, part of emotional health, part of developing, part of, I think, even, even going through even these processes is that you develop a place inside your person that you can be honest with yourself about who you are. This is much harder than it, than it seems because a lot of us have built up this facade, this, this sort of ego that, that we think other people see about us. And oftentimes we believe what other people see. We believe other people's highlight reels of our own life. Because we believe it deep down their highlight reels. And in reality, I'm just here to tell you, because I get to sit in the cutting room of most people's life videos, nobody's really their highlight reel. Everybody's wrestling with something. So if you're going to be authentic in this room and true to yourself, you've got to be up, honest about what it is you're feeling. And here's what this means. When you're frustrated in this message, be frustrated. When you're offended, be offended. When you're hurt, be hurt. When you're sad, be sad. Whatever you are, be that. Because it's the only potentially authentic thing for you to grasp on if you've built a life of fakery. Which, by the way, all of us have to an extent. I've seen most of your Facebooks. I don't believe half the stuff that's on there. <laughs> and I know this because some of the times I sit in rooms with couples who want therapy or individuals who need help, and if you go to their Facebook, they look like, I mean, they're, they, they're living the, they have the best Instagram life you've ever seen. And yet the stuff they're wrestling with is normal stuff like all the rest of us. So I've come to realize Facebook is fun, Instagram's fun, but that's about the extent of how you really get to know people based on that. And so today, be authentic with your feelings and don't allow the sermon to be poured into someone else's life when today it's really supposed to be for you. Amen? Okay, let me pray. Then we're going to start throwing some punches. Mm, it's going to be a bloody Sunday. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for people who uh, could have stayed home, had good reasons, but decided to get involved in their own spiritual walk, decided to come and listen and learn from you, not from me. Thank you for the process you've walked my own life through. Thank you for the bruises and the uh, wounds that, that have caused me to stop and preach with authenticity these things that... Uh, the God I've seen transform not only my life, but the lives of those people around me that I love. May people today in this room uh, stop with the games. May they just be authentic about the fact they have struggles, they have concerns, and God, you are the only one who can meet them all. We are so uh, pleased to be in your presence, and we ask that you would just take it from here. For you are a good God who loves each of us more than we can ever understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so as we approach the wall, here's something I, uh, I want to come across. First off, most of the material you're going to see today, a lot of it is taught in our EHS class. We're going to do another one of those because we maxed that one out. So we're going to do one as soon as we can. But a lot of this, as you go through it, you're going to be like, wait a minute, Danny stole this. And yes, yes, I did. So uh, it's excellent stuff. It's helped my marriage. It's helped my story. And I think it's important to, to clarify that um, because I think more than just a Sunday morning experience, you, you probably should get in and dive a little deeper when you're ready. When you think about the wall, uh, I want you to think of it as, as seasons. Instead of when describing uh, the wall, you just think of it as different trials, it's, it's much more like seasons. We don't control the seasons, they happen to us. 
Winter, spring, summer, and fall come to us whether we like it or not, and so do walls. They always look different. They feel a little different. Some are too hot. Some are too cold. Some are too colorful. Some are, 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 are just too much life. However, you, whatever analogy you want to draw to help understand it, your wall and my wall will be very different. It's one of the reasons people have a hard time connecting with others when they face a wall because when I say I'm up against this huge trial and I mention it, you immediately go to what you view as a huge trial. This is why the sermon's for you, not for the people around you. It's for you. It's for me. It's for our individual walls in our individual lives and recognize they all look different and they oftentimes happen to you just like the seasons. For most of us, the walls appear through a crisis. It appears through something that turns our worlds upside down and inside out. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a loved one, a close friend, a family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioned church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled. It comes through something important to us that doesn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen. All of this finally results in a dryness or a loss of joy in our relationship with God. We discover for the very first time that our faith doesn't work. That everything we were taught, everything we thought, all the tools we, we had to fix this life and make it better than, than, than we ever could on our own, all these skill sets, no matter how much you throw at them, the engine of our life still doesn't turn over well, and for many it doesn't start at all. I like this quote, we don't know where God is, what he is doing, where he is going, how he is getting us there, or when this will all be over. That's a wall. And every person in this room right now just exhaled in one big breath because you all know what that place is, as do I. Let me just say for some of you, these, these, uh, the things I just mentioned are way too close to home. You, you, you think that, that, uh, that, it, that I told you it'd be hard but you didn't think it'd be that hard, I just want to encourage you real quick to keep going. Don't let one of the things I just mentioned up there be the reason you tune out, jump on your phone, try to make plans for later today. Sit in the place. If you're mad, be mad. If you're scared, be scared. If you're angry, be angry. If you're doubting him, doubt him. You do whatever you need to do. Today is a cross your arms in service and cry if you have to kind of message, and I'm fine with it. You do what you need to do, but don't run away. Okay, good. <laughs> I almost lost a few of you, but you're back now. Here's what's important to know. Every follower of Jesus at some point will confront these walls, or as the ancients called them, the dark nights of the soul. Every follower, every person that's ever lived who's decided to make their life second to his has faced these places. God called Abraham to leave his past life in Ur at the age of 75 and to embark on a difficult journey to create an entirely new nation and people dedicated to God. Talk about a bummer retirement plan. Like you're relaxing, right? You got your mojito, things are good. And God shows up and he's like, all right, here's the deal. Not only are you going to create a new nation, you're going to have a couple kids of your own. Like he's, I mean, he's got to be thinking that. All of us are like, what a blessing. Have you ever thought about Abraham at night being like, I don't want to do this. Like, my, I'm good. But 
God's called him to that wall. God called to Moses from a burning bush to begin a new and complicated phase of his journey at the age of 80. I mean, what is up with God and old people? You know what I think it is? I think sometimes we get to a certain age, we get to a certain age, and we, we lose that, that spark for life, and God comes in and says, no, no, you're not done yet. So let me just say to the older folks in our crowd right now, you have any idea how valuable you are to this community, to this congregation? I had lunch this week with a lovely lady, Claudine. I don't know if she's here or not, but we had lunch, my wife and I, and we have told 15 people how blessed we were sitting with her in her retirement home, having lunch with her and her peers and listening to her and her wisdom. You are, you are so important to the story of God. And if you don't stop it, God could bless you with another child any day now. <laughs> so you, you better figure it out. <laughs> no! Okay, figure it out. God called David. God called David to lead the comforts of his job as a shepherd, which didn't have as nearly as much responsibility as he was about to to conquer Goliath and to serve as a king of a very dysfunctional Israel. God calls people to this place, and there are always people who have agreed to be in a relationship, but they often just misunderstood what it meant to follow God. It's just a very real but often overlooked and avoided part of following our Creator. And so, know that you're not alone. Know that it's normal. I don't think we normalize stuff for people enough. I don't think we say and go, that is tragic and I'm so sorry. And I understand it. I'm confused like you are. I understand that it's confusing. I understand that it doesn't make any sense. I understand what it means to be angry. These are the kinds of things that we're supposed to do with our fellow brothers and sisters. It's just, it's just hard. And sometimes it's okay to just tell somebody, wow, that must be really difficult. This is the journey Jesus called each of his disciples to as well. Eleven of them bought it. They said, yeah, we're with you. And they suffered along the way, and they threw tantrums, and they threw fits, and they, 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 they pouted. And every time Jesus called them back like a good father does, and they, they, they decided eventually that he was worth following in spite of all these things they didn't understand. All of them except one. It was Judas. Judas, the one who betrayed him, eventually grew disillusioned with the wall and so got stuck in that cycle that I talked about earlier. He could not see how anything good could emerge out of the mess Jesus led them all into. And so in a sense, and I speak this carefully but thoughtfully as a description of maybe some of you in the room, in a sense, Judas, for Judas, the plans of Jesus offended him. I, I want to tread lightly, but I think for some of you, the reason you wrestle with your faith is because the plans of Jesus offend you. They're not supposed to be that messy. They're not supposed to be that, that sloppy. He's the greatest leader who's ever lived. He has the most spiritual insight. Why would he do this and cause this? And I mean, I could do a better job than that, which is exactly what Judas thought, which is exactly what a lot of us think. Judas' stuckness eventually resulted in him quitting Christ altogether, resulting in perhaps history's saddest account of a wasted opportunity. Many believers in this room and that I come across, and many times in my own spiritual journey, are stuck in this offended place. 
The disorientation and pain of my present circumstance binds me up inside, and I don't know what else to do but pretend that the thing I'm going through isn't really the thing I'm going through. And so I medicate. I medicate through all kinds of different things that are hurtful and, and, and bring bad, bad things into my world, and I, and I avoid the things that are painful because it's just too much for me to think that maybe God doesn't really love me like I thought he did. What most Christians don't understand, though, is that growth into maturity in Christ requires facing this place. That's why I prayed for you earlier. I'm proud of you for showing up here today. The hardest part for some of you is just showing up. Once you're in the room, you're good to go. But some of you, you've been showing up for a long time and you've never actually stepped in and faced the wall. You know it's there, and that's why you woke up this morning not wanting to come. But you've never been able to move through it because you've never got beyond the point that you're at right now. And so today I'm hoping with the Holy Spirit's help to help you with that. Because here's the truth. You can't go around, jump over, or dig a hole under the wall. It's got to be passed through. And for many, it can be brutal. So let's start off with whether or not we're actually at the wall. How do we know we're being brought to the wall or dark night? Let me give you a couple descriptions that will help you kind of understand what this looks like. First, our good feelings of God's presence evaporate. I can't believe we just said that in church, but it's so true. Our good feelings of God's presence evaporate when we're being brought to the wall. Next, we feel the door of heaven has been shut as we pray. We could preach a whole sermon just on this one. All the people in all the Psalms where David says, where are you and why aren't you? And David was like one of the most authentically real. I mean, he would have been crazy to be around because one day he's like, God is so good. Things are amazing. And the next day he's like, you hate me. He was so real where he was, though, and God honored that. But there were many times when he felt like the door of heaven had been shut no matter how he prayed. Feelings such as darkness, helplessness, weariness, A sense of failure or defeat, barrenness, emptiness, dryness descends upon you. You don't feel like it anymore. It just, you don't get that same spiritual buzz. You sing the songs, but they don't really have the meaning they used to. These are other ways that you know you're being brought to the wall. The Christian disciplines that have served us up, served us up to this time, no longer work. You go back to what you thought you knew. You go back to the people you thought could help you. You go back into the routine and the rhythm that you, that, you, that you felt got you through other times, but suddenly those things start falling flat. And then lastly, you can't see what God is doing. You see little visible fruit in your life. Basically, you just feel spiritually dead. This is when you know you're being brought to the wall. I've had many of these moments. And so... I've discovered that it's during these times of vast desert and loneliness that God is actually rewiring my taste buds so that I might taste of him even more fully. It, it, it's an easy thing to say. It's a much harder thing to discover on your own. I hope that it's a gift from the Holy Spirit uh, to you, this idea that these walls are actually incredibly loving, difficult, ugly times. But once you begin to understand that, then the walls, they take on a whole new meaning. Because when you realize that God is rewiring your taste buds to something totally different, then suddenly you understand, oh, this is surgery and I'm going to hurt afterwards. You face it differently. 
It, it doesn't bring the same terror that being attacked with a knife does when you go to the surgeon who also has a blade, by the way. It's a different experience when you know that God is lovingly removing things from your life that actually have been causing you a lot of damage. St. John went through way more walls than me, and this is what he wrote about it. He said, God is purging the soul, annihilating it. Those are kind words. Emptying it or consuming in it, even as fire consumes the moldiness and the rust of metal, all the affections and imperfect habits which, is, which it has contracted its whole life, these are deeply rooted in the substance of the soul, and God is getting rid of them. Those are, those are words from a man who's faced a lot of walls. It also speaks to the idea that only through accepting this painful, far, painful part of the faith journey can you avoid becoming permanently stuck at the wall. Only through accepting this painful part of the faith journey can you avoid becoming permanently stuck at the wall. Because if you avoid it, then you become bitter. This is the same thing on a very different scale when it comes to marriages that, that find themselves stuck in this place of not trust and stuck in this place of kind of doubt and stuck in this place of defeated dreams. It's only if you admit those things and decide to together enter into a process of restoration that you can survive it. Because I'm here to tell you, if you avoid it, all you're prolonging is the divorce. It's just, it's reality. I think almost anybody who's been through that or anybody who has, has watched people go through, through that have recognized this idea that people who are stuck in a place begin to be embittered, they begin to be frustrated, and again, as I said, they begin to medicate, which changes who they are, which, by the way, is the number one complaint that I hear from most people who want to get a divorce. He's not the person he used to be. She's just not the same. But if you were to really unfold that all the way back, at the core of it, there's some stuckness happening at the wall, and nobody's admitting how that feels. Because of this stuckness, countless sincere followers of Christ stagnate here and no longer move forward with God's purpose for their lives. Even worse than being stagnate, some of us hide behind our faith to flee the pain of our lives rather than trust God to transform us through it. And so we actually hide beneath the covers of our spirituality, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. This is probably most likely what people who follow God a long time and then found themselves surprisingly at the wall do. We utter platitudes like, in all things, God works for the good with a big, giant, cheesy, fake smile on our face. In all things... I was called to the hospital one time for a lady who discovered that as she was laboring, her child passed away. She had to give birth to this little boy who was perfect. As I went into the hallway and getting ready, there was someone there that, that, that some sort of family member there who was this hyper-religious, hyper-spiritual, like humming hymns out in the hallway. And as I passed in order to be the, she wouldn't let go of the baby after she had it. And they called me in to see if, if, if I could get her to, to hand over the baby. And I had a relationship with the mother and she just was out in this hallway and she was humming this, this thing. And as I passed her, she said something similar to these words, God is good all the time. And I thought, not today, he isn't. I know I was wrong, but I was honest about my feelings. And as I walked in the room, the mom saw that I wasn't there. She had kicked out two other chaplains. I didn't know this at the time. Because they were, they were this hyper, jovial. And I walked in, and, and I, I wept with her, and I said, this is terrible, and this is not fair, and this is wrong. 
And she handed me her baby before anybody else. Not because I was more, maybe because I was less. Because I recognized the reality that this is not a time to, to pretend. This is a time to scream and rage and be frustrated and angry. People hide in their faith all the time. There are some of you in this church right now, I don't know who you are, so don't feel called out, but you know who you are, and so feel called out, because the Holy Spirit knows better than I do. You utter those platitudes. You smile and sing contemporary praise songs about your victory in Jesus. You don't curse or get bitter toward God. It's one of the first things I recognize in a, in a mature believer, is they have the ability to admit when they're mad with God. And, and this, one is, this one kills me because it's usually other leaders, other, other leaders that I spend time with. You have a job, you feel, to keep it together, to demonstrate to the weaker members of the body and the watching world that your faith's solid and strong. What a bunch of garbage. Nobody's faith is that solid and strong. As a matter of fact, the strongest people in the Bible were the people who fell upon the ground and cried out to God. These are the people that we read about. That's why the Bible's so beautiful. It's so, it's so human in its, in its storytelling. It's people doing amazing things in spite of them cursing God a month before. Because God is above all that stuff. He wants real relationship with us. But you need to recognize if you're stuck at the wall, it could be because you're pretending you're not stuck at the wall. Stop it. Find somebody safe. You don't have to do it publicly. Find somebody safe. Find a safe place and be honest with how you are. Here's the problem, and we know this, and you would if you took the class, that emotionally healthy faith admits things like this. I am bewildered. I don't know what God is doing right now. I am hurt, and I am angry. These are the things that drive out the fakery in your life. And then once all the fakery is purged, God then adds something to your soul. Overcoming our great temptation to quit or go backward, one author said, but instead choosing to remain still, listening for his voice, God inserts something of himself into our character that will mark the rest of our journey with him. He mysteriously infuses and imparts his love into us when we are fully poured out of all the things that we hold on to. James referred to it, refers to it like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Verses like that are confusing to people who've never been to the wall or never have admitted they're at the wall, because no one wants to see their faith tested. Why would a God play games with me like that? He's not playing games. He's trying to pull out those things in your life that you are hurting yourself with. It's like grabbing the arm of a child as they hold something dangerous in their hand and prying open every finger and they rage at you with how dare you constrict my life in this way. And you're like, you don't get to have this. You don't know enough, you're not strong enough, and I love you way too much to let your little angry pouty face walk around with this dangerous thing. And we hold it and we say, this is all I ever wanted. And God's like, but I'm all you'll ever need. And he pulls those fingers apart and you twist and turn. And maybe you're one of those kids that spin and, and kick and all. I don't know. I had one of those, right? <laughs> he pulls those things out of your life because he loves you so much. 
And so James says, because some of that stuff came out of his life, consider it pure joy when it happens. Because ultimately, God is the one who moves us through the wall. It is his slow, deep work of transformation in us. It is his job. And all he asks is that you recognize what he's doing. So, how do we know we are making progress, or if we are perhaps even on the other side? Here's the following. These are a list of of, uh, three dynamics, three dynamics to consider when looking for people that have passed through the wall or people that you want to understand, or even in your own life, people, you might be like, okay, I think I understand some of this and I believe I've passed through the wall. Here's the first one, a greater level of brokenness. Christians can be notoriously judgmental in the name of standing up for the truth, but people who have been through the wall are broken People who have been through the wall are freed because of that brokenness from judging others. For example, consider how offendable you are. Someone who has been through the wall is so secure in the love of God that she is unable to be insulted when criticized, judged, or insulted about her past life and the things she does and has done. She thinks to herself, oh, you don't even understand the half of it. It is far more worse than that. As I exited a church I was previously at, a lot of people told me about all the terrible things I did. Some were true, some weren't, but because I had someone of great emotional health in my life at the time who was speaking kessid, steadfast love, he said the best response you can say is, you know what, I don't know about all that, but there's stuff you haven't even heard about that's worse than even those things. People didn't know what to do with it. And I loved that about that tool, probably more than I should have. I remember watching one man just spin in a circle, and I was like, this is awesome. I'm terrible. I'm worse than you could ever imagine. Want to come to church on Sunday? He just didn't, he didn't know what to do, but it, was, it, it worked for me. St. Francis of Assisi said, blessed is he who expects nothing, for he shall enjoy everything. When you recognize your own brokenness because of the wall, you make a really good friend. You make a really good follower of Jesus. When you've had that poison ripped out of your hand, then when you see someone else screaming with the poison still in their hand, you come up right alongside and say, scream all you want, twist, and have you ever thought about doing this? Try to bite, it's, it's helpful. You know, I dropped to the knees one time and just pretended I was dead, try that, right? I mean, I, when you can work with somebody's stuff, they, they eventually realize, oh, you know something. And so because you know something, you must know someone. Second, When you move through the wall, you have a greater appreciation for holy unknowing or mystery. God is beyond the grasp of every concept I have of him. He is utterly incomprehensible. Yes, God is everything, God is everything that's revealed in scripture, but also infinitely more. St. Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s, I want you to think about this, wrote a 20-volume work on God. A 20-volume, like an encyclopedia about God. When he was all done, this is what he wrote. This is the ultimate knowledge about God, to know that we do not know. He'd been through the wall. He had an appreciation for the unknowing, for the mystery, for being able to say, I don't know. There's a lot of permission around here given for that. We talk about spiritual concepts in a way that scares a lot of people because sometimes we'll teach them just to teach them without even letting them land anywhere as if I'm the one who should determine everything you believe about God. 
But it doesn't mean you shouldn't be wrestling with the same concepts he's bringing into our community because ultimately he knows what he's doing with us. So some of you should unknow some stuff. And that is your greatest gift is that you don't know. You don't like it. Makes you feel kind of insecure. But it's wonderfully powerful. Third, and I don't have this one yet, so I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me, but it's a deeper ability to wait for God. When you've been through the wall, you have a deeper ability to wait for God. A lot of that comes from the holy unknowing. An outgrowth of holy unknowing is a greater capacity to wait upon the Lord. Going through the wall breaks something deep within us. That driving, grasping, fearful self-will that must produce, that must make something happen, that must get it done for God just in case he doesn't. If I could give you the wall that I'm facing right now, it's this. I'm a doer. I get a lot of value from doing. I don't need any praise other than for God to know that I was responsible. I worked really hard to get to that place. But I got to tell you, when things feel irresponsible, when things feel confusing, when I'm unsure, when I don't know, I'm the, I just have a tendency to rise up and go, cool, let's risk and go this way. And I'm finding more and more God's like, actually, the biggest risk is for you to sit down, for you to be still, and for you to watch. God has been breaking this in my heart with this building that when we started, we were told would take 16 weeks. 16 weeks. I don't know, I don't know how I, I don't know. I don't know. See, I'm getting better and better at it. I don't know. But I know that God is breaking that within me, and I know this is a wall that I have, uh, that I have not quite walked through, but I'm aware of it. It is very present in my life. Here's the last thing. The last thing I want to leave you with is this. You can one day make it through all the walls. When you no longer have a need to be well-known or successful, but to do God's will, you have made it through the wall. You will have learned, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians, the secret of being content in every situation. This is what he's speaking to. Because he sees walls now, and he's like, oh, God's removing more stuff that's bad in my life. It's not that there are no more walls. It's that they no longer are an obstacle for you. You suffer well. You don't know well. You wait well. You move well. You console well. You have empathy. You are, you are proud of who God is and what he's doing in your life. You're not a pushover, but you're certainly not someone who's a bully. You're this beautiful spot in the middle, led by God to be who and how you are, whatever the situation. And so, therefore, you are content in every situation. How incredible is that? It's a little phrase. It's a little phrase that a man uttered that to this day I think most people are like, well, I just guess I'm not there yet. The truth is no one hardly gets there because no one's willing to face these obstacles, feel honest about what they're feeling as they go through them, and sit in a place to be authentic in relationship with others so that they, they can be real and present. I've only had one man in my life that I would say made it through the walls, and that man was my friend, Dr. Larry Shelton. Larry came to our church 10 years ago, and he came to the church, and he sat in the back, and he listened to me for about three weeks, and then he asked me to coffee. I didn't know who he was, but I like old people, so I said, okay, so I went and hung out. 
And I listened to him, and he asked me a bunch of questions about the church, and he had this sparkle in his eye, and he goes, I think I'm going to be a part of your church. And I go, well, that's great, Larry. It's nice to meet, meet you. I said, Larry, what do you do? And he goes, oh, and I, I remember he was, like, cleaning up the table, and he goes, oh, I'm a seminary professor at George Fox. Anyways, I think it'd be great if, uh, and I was like, what? And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm one of the seminary professors at George Fox. And I said, Larry, tell me more about your story. And he began to tell me about how he was a dean for a while and how he started these amazing missions uh, things and just all this stuff that he did. And I had to pull it out of him, pull it out of him, pull it out of him. Until finally I said, Larry, you, you shouldn't go to our church. <laughs> and he goes, well, I'm going to retire in a few years. And I think I'd like to spend those years with you. And I said, well, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. And he said, Danny, I, I go where God calls me. And so for the last 10 years, Dr. Larry Shelton has looked at every one of my sermons, except this one. He didn't look at this one because Larry passed away just a little while ago. And uh, I didn't know his email address in heaven, so I just couldn't send it to him. Dr. Larry, I got a picture of him right here. If I could summarize his training in just a simple way, he was a Richard Rohr fan, so don't attack me because it's his fan, not mine, but I like a little Richard too, but... He said, this is based, if I could summarize Larry's training for me, it would be the five essential truths that must awaken if you are to grow up into your God-given spirituality. And these things are really helpful when it comes to facing the wall. These are his five essential truths. And Larry spoke these kinds of things into my life. These were specifically for young men, but they really apply to everybody. These are them. One, life is hard. Two, you're not that important. Three, your life is not about you. Four, you are not in control. And five, you're going to die. These are the kinds of things Larry taught about me. I'd ask him theology questions, and these are the things he'd push me back to. See, Larry had faced so many walls in his life, even a heart transplant at an early age, all kinds of different struggles, all kinds of different things, that ultimately what Larry came to the conclusion of with was this idea that God called people to be where they were supposed to be. And you know one of the most powerful things about Larry Shelton is he never answered a question I didn't ask. He never had this agenda where he was like, hey, can I... Have you ever thought of, he never pushed on me all his knowledge and all his wisdom. He waited years. I asked questions just a year ago with him, and they were questions he should have warned me about nine years earlier. And he blew my mind with the answer, and I said, Larry, why haven't you told me this? And he just again stirred his coffee, and he goes, oh, you weren't ready. You didn't ask any questions about that, Danny, so I didn't have any answers. It was an unbelievable thing to realize he waited nine years till I was ready to Ask the question that he already had the answers to. These are the things that people who go through the wall say. They have nothing to prove. They're just where God wants them to be. They're not trying to yank other people through the wall and prove something and be something. They're just people that are where God calls them to be. Larry wrestled with dementia the last, really, 18 months strong. I would take him to coffee, and he would space out for long moments of time. I asked him one time during a, a moment of clarity, Larry, what are you thinking about? And he goes, I was thinking about the blessing of this dementia. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, the thing is with dementia is you often forget that you don't remember anything. <laughs> what a blessing that is. I was like, okay. 
The last day I went and spent with him, uh, he had an uptick. He was sitting in a wheelchair with a blanket, a red flannel blanket covering him, and he was kind of mumbling and in and out, and I went and I sat with him, and I said, Larry, it's Danny, and I hugged on him, and I kissed him, and I told him goodbye, and, and he said something, and I said, what, Larry? And he said, hey, hey, and he looked at me, and I said, yeah, and he said, you should see this little church I helped to plant. It's really something. And I said, is it Kesed? And he goes, no, that doesn't sound right. This <laughs> <laughs> is a true story. Oh. I, don't, I don't know who your Larry Shelton was. I don't know who the person in your life was that helped you face some of these walls, but I know we all have one. This one was mine. For my friend, Pastor Tom, uh, with permission, uh, I'd like to announce that he lost his father just, uh, just last week. This was his. This was actually my first pastor, by the way. Tom's in my yearbook. It says Tommy came to visit. My, my yearbook, my, what is it called? Yeah, My baby book? Whatever. But it was, <laughs> Tom's in my baby book. And uh, it, says, it says Tommy came to visit. He was 15 years old. And this was the pastor of my grandparents. This is where I fell asleep on the pews and woke up with those prints. Remember the material on the pews where you'd fall asleep as a kid? A bunch of you remember and you waked up with all those prints. This is someone else's example. I don't know who your example is, and that part actually I don't think is the point of the sermon. Here's the point, because I'm running over on time. The point of the, of the sermon is, who's, who will you love, and whose example will you be? Whose example will you be? Who's waiting for service? Who's waiting for love? Who's waiting to answer questions in, in people's lives that they haven't even asked yet? But you've got to decide to go through the wall yourself. You've got to decide to listen to people like this that have served, that have suffered, that have the experience. You've got to decide to be that difference in people's lives. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Both of these men were gifts to all who knew them. They were examples of well-lived lives. My hope is today that for many of us, we get to be the next generation's example. I want to give you a moment to reflect on this because I don't like leaving places like this without the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do without my voice running in the background. So I just want to give you a few minutes to think first about the examples in your own life, the people maybe you didn't even realize till right now were answering questions only when you asked them, even though they knew the answers all along. I'd like you to recognize those people as people of great love not just because they loved you, but because God loved you and he put those people in your story. And then I'd like you to spend the last portion of this time thinking about the people in your life you're supposed to love. The people you're supposed to help face that wall because it is scary when you're alone. When Larry came into my life, I was on the verge of quitting this whole thing. And then to have him in the audience and come up knowing what he knew and still tell me what an amazing job he thought I did encouraged me sometimes weeks that I thought I wouldn't make it to the next Sunday. What role are you supposed to play in someone's life who needs that encouragement? Pastor Tom carries the legacy of his dad, has been pastoring all his life in spite of having a business that really doesn't require that he do so. But he had an example like I had an example. 
For one day we will all pass from this place like Larry, like Pastor Lovelace. We will pass through all the walls and we will enter that place in heaven. And I believe we will meet God and all those people who helped us. And then one day we'll get to meet the people God used us to help. I hope this service transforms you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it makes you grateful because I know that I am. Heavenly Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for their stories. Thank you for the ways you are remaking us. You are restoring us. You are renewing us. We are grateful, God, for all the lives you've placed within our surroundings that have impacted us in such a deep way. We are grateful, God, that you call us to impact others the same. We lift this time up to you now. In Jesus' precious name.